Hey, everybody. Welcome to the American Songwriter Podcast Network. This is All Heart with Paul Cardall. I want to take a minute and tell you about my brand new album, The Broken Miracle. It is one thing that I have wanted to do a very long time. It tells my story. It's like a memoir album or a concept project. You have 11 songs that are just all instrumental, gorgeous pieces with a little bit of orchestration, like I've always done. And then I have eight songs that share things I've wanted to share. And they pretty much tell my story. My life has been one struggle and another. Roads with more dead ends than I can count. I have doubted everything. Who I was, what I believe. I know now what life saved. We have several Grammy nominated artists on the record. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's going to uplift and inspire you. You know, like I've always said, my heart has been healed and it's my life's work to use music to heal your heart and the broken miracle can provide the atmosphere to have that process take place in your life. Welcome to All Heart with Paul Cardall. For those that don't know who Matt Hammett is, Grammy nominated, he uh, was in a band, Sanctus Real. He left the band in 2016 to basically focus on being a husband and a father, and that resulted in writing a book called Lead Me, which is based on uh, the song that you co-wrote with Jason Ingram. And uh, Jason Ingram is, uh, I don't know, how many Dove Awards and Grammys do you think <laughs> Jason has? I have no idea at this point, man. I mean, he's had more number one songs uh, in the CCM and worship world, and now even has merged into the pop world with Lauren Daigle of You Say. So, I mean, that guy's had countless songs. Not related to James Ingram. Nope. Nope. <laughs> no. Related to Chip Ingram, the author, who's his dad. <laughs> oh, there we go. There yep. we go. That's awesome. So, you grew up in Ohio. Initially, what was your first attraction to music? What was the, what, when was the day that you basically said, hey, I'm going to be a recording artist and tour the world? Yeah, so it's interesting because a lot of people have kind of a, a defined dream of what success looks like. And I think we had a little bit of that, but I don't think we actually, I was never the kid who thought, okay, like this is going to be the thing that I do when it comes to music. I, I think it just kind of more materialized as, you know, when I, when I was 16, I met this guy named Chris Roman, who is a credible guitar player, had all kinds of kind of wild creativity inside of him. And so both of us were built that way. Yeah. So it was really Providence that we met in high school and uh, our talents just kind of really played off each other and our desires to, to write, not only just play music, but to write music together um, and to start a, a band. So we started Sanctus Real in 1996. We met our drummer, Mark, uh, just that same year. And we just started playing like all different kinds of uh, local uh, youth clubs and youth groups and local events. 
Mm-hmm. And before we knew it, we were already getting calls in the first few years to play all over that region between Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, and even starting to go um, further out than that, just from word of mouth, because people had you know enjoyed uh, what we were writing and performing. And we had a, a lot of energy in our show at that time. We were obviously young rock and rollers. So we were bringing a show, you know, that really... back then there was a big demand for bands to come to especially to like church events and to you know i guess bring not only energy to the event but also at that time it was a big deal for uh the church wanted to you know compete with mainstream events that had rock bands and they wanted the youth to think like hey these, these events are cool to be at and so uh, it was really cool because I thought that we could add to that. And so that was kind of what happened. The word spread. Yeah. The time I was 19, we had offers from different uh, record labels. And it just kind of happened that way. That we just were pursued by um, several labels and ended up signing with Sparrow Records, which is part of Universal uh, Christian Music Group. So, but you, you guys... You're starting out, you, you know, you mentioned rock and rollers, but you're playing in all kinds of churches. Yep. Did you set out to be a Christian artist or did it just kind of find you because those were the opportunities given to you and then it forged yeah. uh, your path? What, what was yeah. going on back then? Our musical influences were pretty split. You know, I mean, Chris was, wasn't even really aware of much Christian music, honestly, and in, in, in and I had grown up on Christian music, but also was really influenced by kind of those 90s rock bands like Weezer and the Foo Fighters. And I mean, I could go on and on and on. And then the Killers came along. And, you know, there's all these amazing artists who were, you know, kind of these organic rock bands. And so musically, we had a lot of those influences. But then we also saw like bands like Switchfoot who had a Christian message, but were also kind of. I guess kind of one foot in the mainstream world, one foot out or in the Christian world. Um, and then we also, there were other bands that were just Christian bands that had kind of formed, I guess, a path for bands like us to be able to have an opportunity in the Christian market to, um, to, to thrive. So we did come to a crossroads where we were pursued by a couple different mainstream management agencies who wanted us to kind of go more of the alternative mainstream rock route. But we could tell they didn't really understand what we were doing when it came to like playing in youth groups. They were like, this is kind of a weird thing. You know, play like Christian youth events. They were like, shouldn't you guys be playing like clubs? But we were like not, even, not even barely 21 at the time. And so, so being, you know, guys who wrote very uh, transparently about our faith and our music, it wasn't like we set out to like say we're gonna write christian songs to get signed with a christian record label it was more like we want to make great music um that's fun and exciting and people enjoy but we also aren't when when we feel like we're meant to put our faith into a lyric we're not going to shy away from it and because of that boldness i guess maybe that's really what drew youth pastors and event coordinators to our music and so, yes. So as you said, those doors, because of that naturally opened and it just got to a place where we were like, 
yeah, like this makes sense for us. These are the doors that have been most widely open to us and we really enjoyed it. And it's not your traditional worship band that it was. I mean, people tend to think of Christian music and, you know, it's just all worship music. You guys were creating a space of, you know, those, those types of bands of alternative music within Christian Christian music. Did you always consider yourself a Christian band? Because I, I hear a lot of like rappers who do Christian music, they don't like being considered Christian, uh, meaning their albums fit in the Christian genre, but yeah. it won't fit onto the rap chart. Yeah, totally. You know, in Billboard. I, that's, that's, and I actually write about this in my book, Lead Me, um, some. That when we were getting started in our career in the early 2000s, there was a big debate as to whether people should be in Christian bands or Christians in bands. That was kind of the, it was a huge conversation in the Christian culture. Right. Um, and I get that conversation completely. You do look at, this is maybe the best way I know how to describe where we ended up kind of feeling tugged in our heart um, and why we chose our path. So I look at it and I'm like, absolutely. I understood the argument completely. Like, Hey, if you're a Christian and you own a car dealership, are you a Christian car dealership? It's like, no, you're a Christian who owns a car dealership. Like, you know, and you use that to spread your faith relationally with people you do business with. That's, I love that. That's yeah. how we should be living in the world. Um, it's, day to day. Like However, I also understand why people who are, you know, con concerned or I don't know if concerned is the right word, but people who care about like what kind of messages they take in through media and, and, and music want to know where they can go to find something that will build them up in their faith. Right. And so as much as I understand the argument against being the Christian band, you know, I also understand why someone would be willing to say and why we did say, hey, we, we are a band that puts out Christian music. We're not ashamed of that genre. We're not ashamed of that label um, because we sing very clearly about our faith, not every song, but enough yeah. that we're like, hey, we get why people want to be able to find it and have a label just like explicit, right? People want to know when something's explicit. Right. Well, they want to know when they, they can build up their faith. Yeah. And so it's important to people. And so I see both ways. One other way that I would describe it maybe is, you know, you have some people who feel called to be just businessmen and you have some people who feel like they're pastoral at heart, like they're leaders. So those are two different things. One guy chooses the, his path in the church. One guy chooses his path in the world. They both love God. Um, we maybe felt, I know I felt like I had a calling to reach youth who maybe didn't have an outlet but their parents and them wanted music that built their faith. Yeah. And I wanted to be able to feed them something. Well, it's, and it's beautiful because it's like the band U2. You know, I didn't know they were a Christian band until later on. And then I look back and all of the things Bono was communicating was evangelical, you know, and he's a, a big fan of Eugene Peterson who gave us the Bible uh, the meth the message and then you have like Coldplay if you watch their concert from Brazil it's a cross their stage is a cross 
and they use all the colors to bring unite to bring people together on that stage of the cross and it's it's like it's so brilliant in the way that it's intentional but people don't necessarily they might miss it yep. they might miss it but what oh, you but your guys's music it's got all that same feel that same vibe that energy and yet a little bit more specific yep to the, uh, in the lyrics which has just been amazing you guys uh what was the decision on your part to to leave the band i mean you guys were grammy nominated you had several dove wins i see a couple doves behind you what was the decision to move away from the band and was that difficult yeah i mean after 20 years of building not only on uh, as it was a band but building on friendship and being on the road together with these guys you know a couple hundred or more days out of the year for 20 years i mean i spent more time with these guys <laughs> I kind of say this sadly, but true, like more than my wife, you know, and, um, and if I was going to spend more time with, uh, anybody than my family, it would have been those guys because they were good guys to be with. We had a common vision, uh, creatively, spiritually, personally, we all wanted to be good dads and fathers and build families. Um, and so I, I wouldn't trade, trade those guys for anything in the time that we spent together. Um, and so I think for me, that made it even harder to make the decision to step away because it was more than just a career. It was more than just a ministry for us. You know, it was, it was family. Yeah. And so even though it wasn't the kind of conditions relationally that, you know, it would be this, it's not the same as a divorce but it feels similar in ways when you have people whose lives are so fused together and, and you, there's very apparent and real pain when you tear that apart and try to learn to do life apart from each other. Right. And so I felt that pain, even in the wrestling of like, I don't know if I can leave what I've known my whole life. And I did come to a place where I always say, as sure as I was restless, which I, I was restless for years, mm -hmm. knowing like, I just don't know if I'm built to live this lifestyle away from my family. Um, as sure as I knew I was restless, I felt that I knew I was released. There was a moment in time where it shifted inside of me where I felt that a new change was coming and now it was time for the change. I'd been prepared and making that decision was the hardest thing I'd ever done. And, uh, but I knew it was the right thing. And so, and coming into 2015, I just told the guys, Hey, this is where I'm at. Part of it was the fact that I'd written a song called lead me. Right. That, um, you know, led to the book that you mentioned earlier. Um, and that was a song about being a more present husband and father and I realized that with the schedule the band had, I couldn't be on stage singing that song and still be true to what the message was. It, was, it, was, it became hypocritical, to be honest, because I knew that I wasn't able to live that song or that lifestyle. It wasn't even just a song. I wasn't able to live that lifestyle I was singing about in its fullness because of 
the nature of what we did. Let me share with everybody the lyrics of this song that Matt's talking about. I look around and see my wonderful life. This is the song, Lead Me. I look around and see my wonderful life, almost perfect from the outside. In picture frames, I see my beautiful wife, always smiling, but on the inside, I can hear her saying, lead me with strong hands, stand up when I can't, don't leave me hungry for love, chasing dreams, what about us? Show me you're willing to fight, that I'm still the love of your life. I know we call this our home, but I still feel alone. I see their faces, and I, I know your kids, and we're gonna talk about one particular. I see their faces, look in their innocent eyes, they're just children from the outside. I'm working hard, I tell myself they'll be fine. They're independent, but on the inside, I can hear them say, lead me with strong hands. Stand up when I can't. Don't leave me hungry for love. Chasing dreams, what about us? Show me you're willing to fight that I'm still the love of, you know, it goes on into still the love of your life. Um, and, you know, this song, I, I listened to this song over and over and over again, long before we were friends. And, you know, uh, when I went through uh, my divorce, I never in my wildest dreams thought um, I wouldn't have the access to my children that I no longer have. And yeah, I can go and I can fly and be with them. And I, I do this once a month, you know, but you are a touring musician, always on the road. And it seems glamorous. It seems amazing. But I think you represent so many recording artists, so many that I know, who it's a bittersweet scenario. They're home, you're out getting adulation. Yep. You come home, you, you kind of like have to, it's like you're not getting the adulation. And someone once said adulation is poison. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it was pretty crazy just um, for me being gone. Yeah, the, the, there was a tension not only in the fact that I was gone so much, but in how to adjust to coming home. And that's what you're hitting on. It was like, how do I go out and eat three amazing meals of catering, you know, have everything laid out for us, spread out for us, you know, in the green room. And, um, and even though it's hard work, it revolves around this dream you've had since you were a youth. And it's kind of still kind of exciting, he said, because you're in crowds of people who are singing your songs and they come to you afterwards and they want merchandise and they want to tell you how great your song is. And um, I, you know, I definitely think like I never in those moments like thought that was getting to me, but then I would come home and it'd be like, everything was required of me. You know, it was like, I had to snap back into, all right, like, no one's going to wait on you. No one's going to be, I mean, Sarah's very encouraging. So, uh, and, and very loving. So I don't want to make it seem like that's not the case, but she's tired, right? right? This time kids are young. She's exhausted. She's not like waiting for me to get home so she can like come running up to me and be like, Oh, you're just the best, you know, and this and that it's like, 
like the fans. I mean, she's your real, she is your number one fan, but she's not the people. You don't have this deep connection with all these other people who yeah. just want to put their arms around you and go, oh, but they have a deep connection with you. Yeah. And, you know, and it, yeah, it's crazy because it requires, it's, it requires so much, right, of our, of our energy to be a good father, to be a good husband. And my energy, to be honest, was just being kind of sucked away into this other existence, this outer existence of what was happening at home. And, you know, that adjustment between the two, it was two different lives. It, it was not easy, you know? You, looking back, you know, you have a lot of, you know, a lot of bands that are on the road and they still have these amazing families. For the younger generation that's rising up that wants to go out and do the arena tours and all these things and be on the road, but wants a wife, wants children, you know, even if it's a, a woman that's going out on the road and wants to have a husband at home, uh, vice versa, what's your, is there any easy advice or is it just tough advice that you give them? Because obviously your book, Lead Me, yeah is probably the best, like the Bible for explaining what went, you went through and people can obviously take a, their own assessment from it. But what is your, what's your advice to the young guys and the young women that are yeah. pursuing this path? Yeah, I think that, that, boy, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard because one of the questions I had to ask myself is, could I be good, maybe not good, could I be great at the most important job of my life if I wasn't there for it, right? And so you get torn because you're like, okay, if I want to be great at my job as a performer or whatever it is that, that I'm dreaming to do career-wise, can I be great at that without showing up for it in a real way, yeah. like being present in that space? And then, you know, again, in the same way, can I be great at home if I'm not there? And so I think that is the greatest question is, can I use my gifts and my talents in a way that is healthy and honoring for both my career and for my family? Yeah. There will be times inevitably where those things are pulled out of whack in seasons because you're seeing a place where you need to give more. Um, but I would just say, be vigilant about those spaces and those places and those tears and those tensions. Mm -hmm. Be vigilant to not pretend like they don't exist and just keep on running, but to take the time to stop and look at both of those things and go, what am I giving to my career dreams? What am I giving to my family dreams? Which is more important? How can I do that? How can I give and take? How can I make hard decisions um, that, that bring these things more into harmony with each other? And I just think those, that those are such important moments to stop and look and ask the questions. And when we forget to do that, when we just run, 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 eventually we find ourselves in a place that, you know, we would never be in. Yeah. So that would be my advice is that vigilant spirit and heart. Just try to keep everything level, stay focused on. Yeah, and again, it might. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's a real thing. 
I don't know if it exists in this life, <laughs> but I do know that we can take a real look at where we are and where we want to be and take real action steps to get there and not just let our dreams and our imaginations of who we want to be. Actually, mm-hmm. I'm going to say this real quick. I'm just going to say one more thing about this. Oftentimes, and I write a lot about this in my book because it's very important. A lot of times we create an imagined inner life for ourselves. So true. And in that imagined inner life, we idealize ourselves and our intentions and all the things we want to be in a reel that plays in our head. Okay. Our intentions are are visual. Our dreams are visual. And we imagine ourselves doing the things that we set out to do well. If we're not careful, those imaginations and those intentions in our inner life can become our reality. Mm. But it's very possible that who we think we are is not seen by anyone else but us. And that's when we have to ask ourselves, am I really the person that I want to be or desire to be? Mm. Is my inner life my reality or is that inner life being expressed through action and actually changing the way my life really is, not just for me, but for the people I love. And so those are really important questions to ask too. That's beautiful. During that whole process, all those years, what is the devil telling you and what is God telling you? Yeah, well, there's a big, a lot of times when I speak, you know, there's one simple thing I, I really like to bring up. I, I rarely go without saying it, especially if I'm talking to guys about family issues, especially. Um, a lot of times, uh, it's, it's just the, the being chained to our failure. So whatever that, that is, that, that failure that we might have in our life, that could be big, it could be small, depending on who you are. Or it could be like a, a plethora of these little things that you feel like you fail at on a daily basis, or it could be something big during seasons and you're looking at that big thing or all these little things and you're thinking to myself, or I'm thinking to myself or somebody out there right now keeps thinking like, oh, I just, I don't know if I can accomplish this calling. I don't, I don't know if I can be what I'm supposed to be. I don't know if I can be who I'm supposed to be. Um, I, I just don't, maybe I'll quit. Maybe I'll roll over and die. You know? Right. Cause I can't do this right. And then those voices from the outside speak to us and reaffirm our failures. The voice of, um, also the voice of the enemy in our head speaks to us and reminds us and reaffirms us of our failure. And often the loudest voice that speaks to us, reminding us of our failure is our own voice in our own head speaking to ourselves saying, you cannot do what you're called to do or what you want to do or dream to do. It's not, it's not available to you because Hmm. of whatever those things are. And so what I always, always make sure I tell guys is I believe, especially as a Christian man, I believe that God's spirit as word gives us the power and everything we need to be the men and women that God has called us to be. Yeah. Um, and when we can see who we are in his strength, not in our own strength, in his strength, who he makes us, our creator 
who he created us to be, our creator who defines our purpose. When we lean into him, then I believe with all my heart that, that, that we can. So, so many voices will say you can't. Yeah. What does that mean to lean into him? Yeah. To so really, To really lean into God. I mean, I hear a lot about, you know, asking God to bend, you know, it's the Psalm asking God to bend down and hear you because you need, you need his help. But what does it mean to, Corey Asbury has a line, lean in to the mystery and listen to the melody. Yep. Yep. It's, you know, in, I guess, terms maybe that anybody could understand whether they're spiritual or not. You know, if you go see your counselor, you sit in that, that chair and, and you speak to them and, and uh, I mean, may, maybe you have a good counselor, maybe you don't. If you have a good counselor, they actually listen to you and they um, take on your burdens. They allow you to unload your burdens and then they speak wisdom and truth into your life. So there's this, like, right, there's that, that laying down, that vulnerability of, um, or not literally laying down, unless you actually go to a counselor where you lay on the couch. I don't know <laughs> but that it down tonight. of your burdens and your worries, and it's a place where you can just, like, unload that stuff, and then you can receive some truth to help you move forward and take stuff away from all that baggage right in the same way it's like but you also have to decide am i going to be vulnerable am i going to give this stuff that i don't want to show other people or maybe even let go of because i don't want to really change am i willing to give that away or lay that down and walk away from it and then am i willing to receive what's being said to me the truth that's being given to me and it's this very same thing with God. So when I say leaning in as a Christian man to my creator, I go, am I willing to press in to this place to be vulnerable with a God that I can't see, to have the faith that he's there, to lean in and pray, to lean in and release my burdens mm, okay. to the heavens. And then am I willing to be quiet and try to hear what he's saying in my heart? Am I willing to open up the Bible and read what we believe God has laid out for us and, you know, and for our lives? And so when I do that, I cannot deny the fact that my life, my heart, my family, everything works better. Everything feels better. Everything is less chaotic. And so for me, that's what leaning in is all about. I love that. I have a friend, Todd Sylvester, who does a podcast, and he talks about his hour of power. Every morning, he does an hour of power, and that's where he meditates and he prays, and he just devotes all this gratitude up to God and the Creator. And that gives him a power for the day because he's now in the right mindset to go out and try to be a servant and to love other people and be kind. So it's, it's, it, it's an interesting process because so many people meditate, pray, pray. We all need that kind of that, we all need this higher power. Um, let me back up a little bit and ask you, 
uh, a question. Why did Sarah, who is your wife, why did Sarah choose to marry you? <laughs> That's a really good question, man, because I've been asking myself that for almost <laughs> years now. Um, what was it? Story. You know, we, we uh, both saw each other at a distance before we knew each other and had a gravitation towards the other without knowing it. Um, and so when we finally met, it was so beautiful to find out later that we had both kind of seen each other from that distance and thought, man, we both had the same thought, like I can marry that person and I don't know why I feel that way. Wow. And so, um, you know, now she's, you know, I'm sure there's days where she really wishes she would felt that gravitational pull. Um, but, but, you know, marriage isn't easy, as you know, and um, it's been really beautiful. I mean, we, we're going to be been married for 20 years in next July. You guys have been through a lot together, I know, because you have beautiful, healthy children. You have one son who was born with a similar heart defect than, as myself. I show my tattoo, my scar. Wow. Scars tell my story. Um, but Bowen, he's your second oldest or third oldest? Yeah, so Bowen was our third baby. Uh, so we had Emmy and Claire, who are now 14 and 12. Yeah. And then, you know, Bowen's a little bro our big brother now, too. So, gosh, four kids later. Yeah, but Bowen was our, our curveball when it came to the health issues. But, um, like every other child, he has brought so much beauty into our life in his own unique way. Um, you know, he's brought beauty through adversity. Um, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, no parent imagines, and you know this with your parents, no parent imagines that they have, they're going to have to go through a chronic illness or deal with, um, you know, almost losing a child or losing a, some, you know, many friends we have that have lost children. You don't imagine that you imagine the happy stuff, right? You imagine like, you know, just having a healthy baby and what life's going to be like. And so when that kind of gets twisted a little bit and that, and, the, and, and that your, your dreams get shaken up, it's a very hard transition um, because you don't really know what life is going to be like. And that's how we, f we felt when we found out that Bowen was going to be born with hypoplastic left heart syndrome. You know, only half of his heart, um, as you know, Paul. And so it was a big adjustment, just adjusting, like, how do we dream? Like, mm -hmm. what do we dream for? Like, did we dream because it could be torn away? Um, how, you know, how do we have faith for our not just for us but our family but for our child and how do we pray for our child how do we believe do we believe or you know it's like oh my gosh it, there's so many spiritual and just health related questions you know and and uh so you know for those who don't know the story you know september 9th 2010 bone was born with half of his heart five days old he had his first surgery after that surgery he had his first cardiac arrest, almost died. Um, and six months after he was born, he had 
a second open heart surgery and then last july had his third major open heart surgery and so you know this little 10 year old has had three open heart surgeries and um we're so grateful now for this season that we where he is thriving yeah uh, after that surgery but as you know paul that uh very possible that at some point he could need a transplant just like you yeah, and so again we're still in that place of like yeah, we're grateful but we always know that's a possibility for his future it's scary for any parent when the child is born and they say we've got you know we've got a problem you start to see all the medical people come around and um but what's been fascinating for me you know for those listening is you know, Matt, Matt's become a friend in Nashville and, you know, we met long before in, in Ohio, but just to be able to meet Bowen on my end was cool because I get to see you guys kind of the way I, Bowen sees, the way I see my parents is the way Bowen sees you guys. And so I'm able to have these conversations with you and Sarah to understand my parents in such a whole nother level, it makes me so grateful for the countless prayers and sacrifice my mother and my father made on my behalf and the hundreds of people that prayed uh, for my well-being. I think one of the things that I hope everyone that's listening gets an opportunity to do is see a, a full-length documentary that Matt and Sarah uh, submitted to the Nashville Film Festival, which is the story of Bowen and his journey. I have not seen any congenital heart disease uh, documentary done this way. It's, um, what was the motivation there and when will it be available and when can people see this? Yeah, so we, um... In, I guess, early 2019, leading up to Bowen's third surgery, we decided we kind of wanted to just basically document our lives together. You know, we, we weren't sure how the surgery would turn out. And so we started with an idea of just for ourselves. I started shooting uh, video of our family and kind of trying to tell the story of us going through it just so we had it. And then I started piecing together these montages and people, a couple of people saw them and were like, oh my gosh, man, you should really make a documentary. I realized really quickly that I wouldn't be able to make a documentary uh, as a family if dad couldn't be in it because I was behind the camera the whole time. So Sarah was like, hey, what if we really do this? What if we really give people the opportunity to walk through this with us? Because one of the most common questions we get from other families who are about to go through this is like, hey, what's it like? What's it like to go through you know, these surgeries and, um, you know, every step of it. And so we thought, well, we're always trying to explain it to people and talk people through it. Why don't we show them? And so Sarah reached out to another filmmaker, husband and wife team who'd worked for NBC for years doing documentary work for them. And we're wanting to branch out to do their own, own uh, full-length documentaries. And they had lost a child to heart disease. Mm. And so right. they were on board. And so together, we decided to make Bowen's Heart a documentary about what it's like for a family 
uh, with a child with chronic illness, what it's like to walk through that from everyone's perspective, from being the marriage strain to how it feels to be a sibling, to what it's like to be Bowen. It's a very intimate look through the process. And so we were grateful that Nash, the Nashville Film Festival picked it as one of 200 films out of 9,000 submissions worldwide. And, um, you know, although we didn't win in our category, um, there are a lot of incredible films out there. So we were just grateful to be even accepted. And now we're in the process of talking with several um, different uh, networks. Right now, there's several actually Christian networks that are really interested um, and then a streaming network that's interested. So you never know where these things go. It seems like these processes take forever when you talk to filmmakers. Yeah, yeah. Years to get these deals done. But it looks like there are a couple of people who are sincerely interested. So as soon as we find out, um, you know, who will be airing it, when they'll be airing it, and then also at some point we will release it to uh, a platform such as Amazon so people can stream it. So if people want to know and stay updated, they can always, um, you know, we will post it at Bowen's Heart. They can sign up for the Bowen's Heart email list at bowensheart.com or they can sign up for my email list as well at matthammett.com. What's awesome, everybody, is Bowen actually is a singer. He's a songwriter too. You've got, and your daughter, is your daughter Claire that's doing some music as well? Yeah, well, they all, they all sing. They all love music. Bowen's the only one, though, who's recorded. Yeah. Uh, so he did a little EP, a little three-song EP, and um, just, I mean, it's crazy how it turned out. We had Seth Mosley, you know, who's a multi-Grammy award-winning producer, and uh, a guy named Steve Fee, who's, a, who's on Songland recently, and it was an award-winning Christian songwriter. Um, and it just several people, mix engineers, all these people from the industry who just stepped in to help us produce Bones' album. And it turned out really phenomenal. So it helps too that Bones, a very talented songwriter. It's, it's amazing. My, my kids love the song. I love the song. I listen to it a lot. Not just because it hits home. Like it really hits home. But I couldn't believe how Bowen, because I remember pre-Fontan. The Fontan is the third surgery these kids get. It's a very complicated surgery. It's very frightening. And this plays out in the documentary so well. But for a kid that can barely breathe, his lips are blue, he belts out this beautiful piece of music. And I thought to myself, only God can breathe through that young man to come up with that song. I w the other thing, I was fortunate to sh show it to my parents and my mother and father were just blown away because it's such a different time because parents now have access to the internet and they can see the statistics and the challenges and everything that my mother was just frightened. Yep. There was no Google. There was no, you know, Sarah Hammett to call and say, you know, what's going to happen. Totally. So it's remarkable. And I hope everybody gets a chance to see this documentary. You, uh, you also just released a brand new record. Yeah. Uh, Treetop. Yeah. Which is a kind of a shift, I kind of a shift in music. Oh, that, that's, uh, exciting for me because it's the first album that I've done completely on my own you know no label no publisher 
just me putting it out there. Um, and it was exciting because when somebody else's money is on the line, like a label or a publisher, you know, they, they have targets they want you to hit. And, and, and when, I mean, musically, right? Like, and, and I don't fault them for that. Like, they need to be able to sell a certain thing to the people they're used to selling it to. And so for me, I was able this time to say, hey, like, I'm going to make, just go in and be creative and make what I want to make. No target except for writing the best songs possible and writing them the way I want to write them. And so for me, it is a very, me and my producer, Riley Friesen, I, I invited him too to be like, hey man, you just, you do you. Like be creative, like go after these tracks. And he's got like a super really like, kind of indie pop sensibility uh, around his production. And I was just like, dude, like, just go for it. So together we went for it, two of us, and poured our hearts into it. And we're, we're super proud of it. Uh, regardless of how many people hear it, I don't know, hopefully lots of people do. Um, but the people who've heard it already are, are loving it. I'm getting such great feedback about what it means to people. And I can tell that the songs coming from that place in my heart that are really pure are reaching people, the people who need to hear them in that way. And so I feel really grateful. The song try, like, I love this piece of music because you say things I think every Christian should hear. And the lyrics are, it's okay to feel angry. Yeah. So many people think they can't be angry at their situation and they just need to, uh, subject themselves to whatever God's will is. Yep. Yeah. But you're very open about this. It's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel heaviness. It's okay to feel insecure. It's okay to ask questions. Turn your heart to the heavens. You're pretty much saying it's okay to doubt yeah. your faith, doubt God, and even in a way like Peter sometimes deny. Uh, you're basically saying this stuff. Yeah, I mean... Um, there's a, there's a massive flow of uh, especially young people who are, are leaving the church, leaving God, leaving religion, um, because maybe there hasn't, I think a part of that is because there hasn't been a, a safe place to go in the church to say, I don't know if I believe you. And have somebody not be like, oh, you're such a weak believer or... Right. Oh, whoa, whoa, we can't ask that here. You know, it's like the church should be the best place to go and say, I'm going to have to ask some questions before I can buy this. Or maybe I bought into this, but I didn't ask enough questions. And now I'm realizing I've got to catch up on some question asking so that my faith can be stronger. That should be a place that is welcomed. That should be a process that is embraced. That should be a place where people are embraced along the journey of faith which has doubt there is yeah. no faith without doubt so we can't just focus on the faith we also have to address the doubt and i want people to feel not only a safe place it, it hopefully they have a safe place they can go to ask those questions but if nowhere else i want them, this song to create a musical for them to just let it out yeah, it's so true doubt People tend to look at doubt like it's such a negative thing, but doubt is what sparks a question. Yep. 
you know, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Well, how do I know? <laughs> how do I know I'm going to get rest? And it's like, you know, trust me, trust me. Uh, that's so I, I, yeah, I love that song. And there's so many of those on there. You know, one of the great things I've been able to do since being in Nashville is write this, the, I guess it's, it's the theme song to my upcoming album, The Broken Miracle. And this Broken Miracle, you know, my audience knows is, is a novel inspired by my journey in the same way that Lead Me is inspired by is your journey. Um, and then I have this album and you're gonna be featured on this album doing the theme song, but I wanna, I wanna share some of these lyrics that Matt wrote because, uh, and we had help with another artist, Carter Forge, uh, uh, Fraj, Carter Fraj, is it Carter Fraj? Uh, Fraj. Yeah, I'll edit that a little bit. Right. So it, we had help with uh, Carter Fraj, but these lyrics, it, you have to understand everybody that um, I went through all this, all these surgeries that Matt Hammett's son Bowen went as, as experienced. So it's almost like getting my father to write the words and you're able to see me now as an adult and you see your son Bowen at his age. Does that ever, what do you think? I mean, does that ever, I'm having a hard time articulating this, but do you ever connect my adulthood with his, where he's at and where he's going and? Yeah, yeah. Totally. You know, it's like, man, I, it, it's, it's like, honestly, such an inspiration to me with, like you said, when we were, we first started Bowen's um, journey, there still wasn't a whole lot available on the internet, which is crazy. Think about 10 years ago, even still, um, the amount of resources there are now is so much greater. One of the things that, that spoke to me the most along this journey is when we would come in contact with people who had survived people who were living good lives, full lives who, you know, had congenital heart disease and, and had multiple surgeries or transplants and people who are like able to say, Hey, look, man, like, like I'm thriving, I'm living. I love my life. It's going to be okay. You know, um, those were such huge stories for us. I think, you know, that's how we, we really connect with people. Um, it's, it's when we show each other our scars, right? Like, that's right. And I remember Bowen had this really difficult night where we thought we were going to lose him one time while he was at home. This is just like a year, about a year before his last surgery. He was super scared. He couldn't breathe. He started, his skin started turning dark and we knew it was serious. So we called the paramedics that came and took him away in the ambulance. And it was, I had to stay back with the other kids and I was scared. Sarah was scared. She was with him. When Bowen got into the ER, they had stabilized him. He was doing better, but he was still scared. The nurse who came in to, to check him in said, Hey Bowen, you know, I, I see here that you have hypoplastic left heart syndrome. And now mind you, this is a, this, this disease in particular is a very, rare disease and she looks at him and she says you have hlhs well so do i wow. and she pulled down her, her her collar like you did earlier and showed him her scar and there's something that in that story that's so physical right we see it 
but that's what happens in our hearts too when we're willing to say to people like hey um you're hurting so am i you deal with this so do i um that is one of the most powerful things we can do for each other as human beings on this planet it's one of the greatest gifts we can give to another person so for me to be able to come and be part of you know this musical journey with you who are who is somebody who has said to our family hey me too i've been through this um it would be special even if we didn't have a kid with with this disease but the fact that we do makes it even that much more special for, for me on my chest the faded line painted the past that i can't hide the scar that kept my heart alive I've seen loss turn into life One man healed cause another dies Wish it was easier sometimes But I wonder if you took my pain away Would I ever see the pieces that it takes to make a broken miracle you show me how my scars are beautiful Now I'm not afraid Cause with all the pain that I've been through You're making me the living proof That the greatest stories told Are the broken miracles And you know eventually you'll be able to hear this song and hear the rest of these lyrics They're so beautiful and, you know, when I got those lyrics back from you, I was like, you were able to put into perspective things I had been feeling, processing, wanted to communicate, but it takes a great songwriter to do that. So I'm forever grateful. Oh, and, and everyone will be able to hear this song on The Broken Miracle. But uh, Matt, you're, you're awesome, man. Thank you, bro. I feel the same way, man, which is why we get to hang out more and more. We do. Matt and I started this uh, small men's group. It's extremely small right now, but it's been a blessing to me as I'm transitioning into uh, Christianity, uh, more, more abundantly Christianity. It's been a huge blessing to have you uh, as a friend and mentor me and teach me um, and, and go on this journey. So, and thanks for being on All Heart. I want to ask one last question. I ask all my guests, when it's 200 years from now, 300 years from now, and somebody says, Matt Hammett, what is it that you hope that the world, you know, of course, we'll all be in heaven, but what the world will remember, what do you hope your yeah. legacy is? Well, I certainly hope that people remember somebody who uh you know there's, there's there's a couple facets to that right artistically i hope people remember i put my heart on the line that i wasn't afraid to share vulnerably uh just like we talked about to show my scars so that others knew they weren't alone but ultimately i i certainly do hope that the greatest scars that people see are jesus's scars and how his scars cover my uh insufficient self <laughs> um i just recently I, I i had this i was thinking like about this and i was thinking I, I do hope that the one thing that people can say of me when i'm gone is that christ was enough 
I will never have been enough. Um, but in my weakness, he certainly has been strong. Um, when I wasn't enough, he was. And so I do hope that's what my kids and everybody else remember of me if they remember if they remember me at all. I love that. I gotta tell you, my faith in Christ has increased so much. Uh being able to be around people like you, uh, because it's authentic, it's real, it's not this uh beautiful painting you hope it's it's a reality. He does make up the difference. Um, he is, I mean, he's, I'm so bad at articulating it, but he is everything. And it's amazing when you start to lean in, like you said, to him, uh, for those of you that aren't Christian, I encourage you to learn more about it because it's forever changed me, forever changed me. And I feel so much more freedom in my mind and my heart that I didn't think it was a reality. So I appreciate it. All right, buddy. Thank you so much. Tell Sarah hi. Tell the whole family hello. I'm grateful, honestly, Paul, just to be your friend, man. So, Thanks, Matt. My agenda is to be, be your friend and hopefully love you well. Um, and you've definitely been that to, to me and my family. So thank you very much. And uh, thanks for having me on All Heart. All right, man. Thanks. Thanks.